here at the burning bush for a few weeks, and uh, I think we're going to be stuck here for a couple more weeks. Uh, and I just want to reiterate, the purpose of this series isn't just to learn more about Moses. But I believe that it's a principle of the kingdom. Whatever God does in your heart, he wants to do through. Whatever he does in you, he wants to do through you. And Jesus is our Moses, but he's our Moses so that we can be a deliverer too. Jesus came, said, as the light of the world. And then before he left, he said, you are the light of the world. So the point of this series we're going through is to, um, to develop in us a heart to be deliverers. To, to not be deaf to the cries of the slaves in Egypt, uh, but to be motivated and moved by God's presence and his power to see people set free. That is the only reason you are on this planet. If you've prayed the prayer and you trust in Jesus... There is no other reason for you to be on this planet than to help other people find Jesus. Literally. Otherwise, what would happen is we'd say, Jesus, come into my heart. Amen. Go to heaven. Right? Why not? Why, why would we go through all this? Why would we stay here and suffer? and all of it? It's be, We are here to make disciples. We have a mandate to see lost people found, to see capture, captives set free. So that's the heart. That's the purpose of this. Hopefully uh, you're getting something out of it and hopefully you're beginning to believe that you could be a deliverer. Right here, right now, you have everything you need to be uh, a deliverer. So last week we talked about Moses' encounter with God at the bush. I mean, we uh, discussed the importance of living a life from, from the place of consistent encounters with God. If you're going to bring other people into an encounter with God, you might not, you might want to know how to get there. You know, you might want to have been there before yourself and had an encounter with God. And something we didn't get to last week that I just want to touch on for a second was the burning bush wasn't like some moment in Moses' life that he looked back and said, Oh, I remember that one time I had an encounter with God. It was something God set into motion a regular lifestyle for Moses. Moses regularly went away and spoke with God face to face like he did at the bush from that moment on. And in fact, after he, the Israelites get delivered, it says they would be in their tents and they would find and Moses. It was time. Moses was going to go meet with God. And there was a tent. It was called the tent of meeting. He would go and meet with God. And all the Israelites would come out and they would stand at the, at the door of their tent and watch Moses walked down and go into the tent to meet with God. He regularly encountered God and it so impacted him, in fact, that he had to cover his face because he would glow with the glory of God in such a way people couldn't handle it. He, he was, he, and it says he went into that tent and he talked with God face to face as a man talks with his friend. And now I want to remind you of something. This is not, I gotta avoid these rabbit trails, but it's so good. Moses did this under the Old Covenant. This is before Jesus. This is before the veil was torn. If Moses had that kind of access to God under an inferior covenant, how much more access do you and I have today? Jesus had not died yet. The veil had not been torn. And yet Moses saw the glory of God. Wow. 
So we, we live from encounters with God day to day. We don't live by bread alone, but every word that's proceeding out of the mouth of God. So um, we've been talking about characteristics of deliverers from this burning bush. And the first week we said it's faith-filled. And we talked about Moses laying down his staff and how uh, real faith isn't just surrendering my weaknesses to God, but it's surrendering my strengths. And letting him have all of it. And then picking up the things I'm good at, the things I'm familiar with, and carrying them like, man, if God doesn't intervene, this thing could bite me. Um, and then we, we, last week, of course, we talked about being avail- available for an encounter with God. And this week, I want to talk about a word that I think in the church is kind of a bad rap. I, maybe, maybe you haven't had this experience, but... In, in my experience in the church, it's sort of an unwritten rule that this word called initiative is not necessarily a good thing. We don't use the word initiative. We don't say, you know, Scott has initiative. We say, Scott's got an agenda. He's really got an agenda. That's Christianese for, uh, you know, you're not supposed to have initiative. You're not supposed to want to do anything for God. You're supposed to sit there and let the pastor do it because that's humility. And if somebody asks you to do something, you say, no, no, I can't do that because that's humility. Um, because initiative is pride, right? At least that's how I, I don't know, maybe nobody told me that, but I just kind of embraced that idea that anybody with initiative, they got a, an agenda. And maybe even a Jezebel spirit, I don't know. We'll throw that in. But um, it gets a bad rap. And, and I think what happens then is we get a church full of spectators because in, in the world, in work, you better have initiative, right? Brandy doesn't want to hire an employee that doesn't have any initiative. You want, you, we, in the world, we're like, hey, get some initiative. Get up, go, get a haircut, get a real job, do something. But in the church, it's like, no, no, we don't want to have an agenda. Oh, no, we don't want to have an agenda. No, I think God likes people to have initiative. Because here's the deal. When he created this planet, he made a covenant with Adam and Eve. He gave them authority and he he said, I'm not going to do anything on this earth outside of partnering with you. That's why Jesus had to come as a man because God had committed to partner with a man. And so Jesus came as, as, as God's sort of like the father's sort of partner on the planet to bring redemption, right? Why would he have to come as a man? Because he had given man the authority on the planet. And so, um, God has made this commitment. And it's not like he tied his hands behind his back. He loves you and he wants to work with you because he wants to be near you. At my house, it's a lot faster for me to get the job done if I don't invite any of my kids to come with me. Ugh. It would be so much easier for me to say, kids, go watch a movie. I will empty the dishwasher. But... Number one, I want to teach them to grow up to be like me. Well, I don't know. Be like their mother and, and be uh, clean and responsible and hardworking and all of that. And so uh, I want to do it with them. I want, I want, to, I want them to come alongside. Me. Yeah, I could, it'd be a lot faster for me to put the cups in the bowls and get the right size spoon in the right little slot and all, oh, all that stuff. But man, it's so worth it at the end of the day. We got to spend time together. I got to say, hey, good job, buddy. Yeah, can you put those cups there? Oh, yeah, you, good job. And, and they're getting a little bit more like me. And so God is committed to partner with us. Anything he wants to do on this planet, he wants to do with us. He doesn't want to do it alone. 
Isaiah 6, 8 says this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Why in the world did God ask that question? Whom shall I send? Just go, you're omnipresent. Why are you sending anything? Just, you're there. He's looking for somebody with some initiative. Somebody that says, here I am, send me. And here's some other examples in scripture of people uh, showing initiative. In Jericho, you'll notice God didn't say, I'll knock the walls down and then you guys go in and shout and blow your trumpets and let them know you're there. No, he said, you march around the city. You blow the trumpet. You shout and then I'll act. The woman with the issue of blood. This is a classic one. This woman is sick. She needs healing. She presses in and touches Jesus. If she didn't take the initiative, she wouldn't have got her miracle. She took the initiative. Peter would never have walked on water if he wouldn't have asked. Paul and Silas would not have gotten out of that jail if they wouldn't have worshipped. And the scripture we read this morning during, during our uh, prayer time, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. It's, the initiative is on us. See, anyone can get excited when God shows up. But God's looking for people that will get excited so that He can show up. He's looking for people with initiative. So let's define this uh, godly initiative. I think it's interesting. We, we, if, you, if you look at the story of Moses as a whole, earlier on you could say he, took, he showed initiative, right? He was in Egypt. He saw the, uh, the Egyptian guy beating up on the Israelite and he took some initiative and killed him. Way to go, Moses. Initiative. Good job. But I think there's a difference between self-focused initiative, self-driven, self-motivated initiative and godly initiative. And so this morning, I just want to bring you a few points about what godly initiative is all about. And some, some of the things that I think keep us from engaging in godly initiative. Number one, first thought we've uh, got to embrace is that you were actually created to do work. Now, in us grace-filled, spirit-filled churches, work is a four-letter word. We believe in grace and rest and all that stuff. But I got bad news for you. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say you were. And rest, the rest that we find at the cross is not the absence of work. It's actually the presence of peace. And the rest that he's talking about is the rest from striving to be his son, to be good enough. Now, I'm secure and I'm resting in who I am. And now it's because I'm his son, I do what the family does. And what the family does is we do work. We do work, son. All right. See, Ephesians, Paul says this, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do, why did he create you? To rest. No, to do good works, which, he, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So, what's finished is your salvation. It's secure. It's done. You're in. You're sealed. You're his kid. That's, we rest in that. We work from it. So our work is inviting others into that rest. You were created to do work. Number two, you're equipped for the work. I don't know how many Christians... I, I know, or I run into, or I talk with, who don't believe they have what it takes to do what God has called them to do. But you know, we, could, we could go back to the Ephesians passage I just read. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So when you say that you don't have what it takes to do the job, you're not actually insulting yourself. You're insulting the craftsman who created the tool to do the job. He's the one who made you for the job. He's the one who knew the tool he needed for that job. And so you're not actually being humble when you say, oh, I just don't know if I'm ready. I just don't know if I have what it takes. You're saying, I just don't know if God knows what he's doing. I just, I just don't know if God, you know, did it right when he made me. I think, I just don't know that his work, his work in me was perfect. I, I think, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ready. I'm not sure if he did his job. So, not only were you made for work, you were equipped for the work. Second Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So, you have a choice this morning. You can agree with God or you can disagree with God. I would highly recommend the first option. So if this is true, if everything you need to do the job that you are called to do has already been given to you, then why in the world do so many Christians say no? Because so many Christians say no. As I was preparing this message, I'm going, okay, God, we are like every other church. Um, We're an awesome church, but here's how it works. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And I'm going to preach this message, and those 20% are going to go, okay, I've got to find room in my schedule to do more. I'm tired of saying, no, that's not what I'm talking about. See, I think um, one of the reasons, we're going to, uh, this is a free one, it's not in the list, but one of the reasons we say no is because we don't know the exact thing we're called to do. And if you haven't said yes to something, that's why I asked you to share your yes this morning. If you haven't said yes to something or to someone, then you have no idea what you're supposed to do. So why do we say no? i got a couple of things that just popped into my head, what I hear or what I wrestle with. Number one is time. I just don't have the time to get involved. I just don't have the time to meet with someone. So I just don't have the time to pray. I don't have the time to, to, um, to serve in the community, whatever it might be. I don't have the time. Where did your time come from? Who gave you your time? God created time. 
He lives outside of it, and he created time. And he, you know, he it, the scripture says it's allotted for every man a time to uh, to be born and a time to die. He allotted a certain amount of time. If we imagine time as like money or resources, he said, okay, for what I've called Nick to do, he's going to need this much time. There you go. Okay, for what I've called Jed to do, this is the amount of time he needs to do the job I've called him to do. So when we say I just don't have the time to do it. Again, what are we saying about the maker? What are we saying about the craftsman who crafted you and planned out every day of your life? He made a mistake. He didn't give me enough time to do the job that he called me to do. Now, the real problem is, what are we doing with our time? How much of our time are we using for his purposes? Now, uh, a lot of times I think we fall into error because we think there's... And we, we've been talking about this every week. There's the spiritual stuff and the not spiritual stuff. Like, I'm busy raising my kids. I don't have time to do anything for the kingdom. Baloney, that is for the kingdom. And, and, and we, we, uh, we, we embrace this myth of balance. That I'll just bring balance to my life and I'll spend just the right amount of time doing this and just the right amount of time doing this and work will slow down and I'll be able to read the books I've always wanted to read and I'll be able to pray like I've always wanted to pray. I'll be able to evangelize like I've always wanted to... I'll get balance and then I can do it all. But I don't think life works in balance. I think life works in seasons. And we've just got to know, like Suzanne's word was so good, we just got to know the season you're in. Hey, you got little kids. You're in a season where you're investing in the kingdom of God looks like you parenting your kids well. That's the season you're in. And embrace the season. And then you're going to come into a season like Ron, you're retired, and he's got all the time in the world to do whatever we ask him to do. No, just kidding. Uh, but, but we're never going to find balance. If you wait for balance, it's never going to happen. What we've got to do is decide, Lord, what is the season I'm in and what have you called me to do with my time? This is what Ephesians says about that. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Another translation says redeeming the time. Uh, I went to a Christian school growing up and we memorized everything in King James English. So I know it as redeeming the time because the days are evil. I like redeeming because I think of it uh, like a coupon or a gift card or whatever. And I go in with my gift card and I turn it into the cashier and based on that coupon or that, uh, that proof of purchase or whatever it might be, I give them that and I get whatever that coupon was designed to get me. Whatever that gift card was designed to get me. And so I believe that there are specific things that God has designed for you to redeem with your time. And so I'm spending my time so that I can redeem, I can purchase the thing that God has called me to purchase. I, I, I just, I, uh, that picture helps me. So every day I wake up and I go, okay, what, what's on the agenda today, God? I have these, you know, 12 hours, uh, 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 or however long it is that I'm available to be used by you, God. What, what, what's on your agenda today? How, how are we going to redeem this time? What, how do you want to use it? Because the truth is, it's not my time. It's his time. It doesn't belong to me. It's his time. I don't belong to me. I belong to him. I've been bought. I've been purchased. So he's an expert on, on time. And he hasn't given you more work than time. So when it comes to time, I want you to reevaluate. Are you using God's time for your work or his?
And that might not actually mean changing what you do. It might mean changing how you do it. You say, man, I work 14 hours a day. I don't... Okay. Is, is that a God thing or not? How does God want to use you in those 14 hours? So, the one I, one I hear is I don't have time. The other one is I just don't feel qualified. I don't have any experience doing that. I can't do it. I'm not, I, I, can't, I can't lead a group. I can't uh, serve in Sunday school. I can't uh, lead worship. I'm not qualified. I don't, I don't feel qualified to do that. I love how Moses tries to use this excuse too. And this is, oh, I love this part in the movie where Moses is like, I, I, me, I can't, I can't even speak. I can't, I can't go. I'm, I'm the prince of Egypt and they're, they're going to kill me. And God comes in. Boom! I love God's answer. God doesn't try to convince Moses that he's qualified. Moses, God doesn't jump in and say, oh, Moses, that's not true. You're awesome. You're great. You went to the best school in Egypt. Remember, you're a smart guy. Come on. I don't care what anybody else says about you. You can do it. I believe in you. God didn't believe in Moses. Come on, Moses. I believe in you. No. He said, who do you think is talking to you? Come on. I created the deaf and the blind, the seeing, the me. I created them all. And I could turn hearts like a, like a river. I love that verse. God, God turns the hearts of kings like a river. He, it's nothing to me. Don't you realize who you're talking to? I am Yahweh. So this is much deeper than just questioning my ability. Because God brings Moses back to his commitment to this mission. His commitment to the Israelites. His power to do it. And so I think when we say no, oh, I don't, I, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to pray with my neighbor. I'm not ready to take that lady out to coffee and share my faith. I'm not qualified to do that. I don't think I could do that. What we're really saying is, I'm not sure if God's committed enough to the mission to go with me. I'm not sure if he's committed enough or I'm not sure he's strong enough to do it. Because guess what? You're not qualified and you never will be. The day you're qualified is the day the quality of the work really goes down. You want to, you want to see bad preaching. It'll be the Sunday that I come and I feel qualified to do it. We are in trouble. We'll never be qualified. I don't want to preach uh, based on my ability. I want to preach based on the grace of God because there's an endless supply of that. And so if I only say yes to the things I feel qualified to do, who is actually sitting on the throne of my life. How will I ever experience grace? How will I ever experience the supernatural power of God moving through my life if I only do the things that I can do? Philippians 2.13 For God is working new giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. He's working in you to give you both the desire and the power. You say, man, I don't even want to do this. I don't even want to pray. Good news, He's got that covered too. He's at work in you, giving you the desire and the power. So, have you ever had an evaluation at work? sat down with your supervisor and you're like I, I don't I have like that you know I was a pretty good kid in school too I don't know why I have this like 
that principal's office kind of syndrome. And I have, I've always had really good bosses. I mean, really good bosses that put up with, I did some really stupid things when I was younger, and they, they were very patient with me. Um, and, and there were times, you know, like, I'm working really hard, and I know I'm a good employee, and I'm going into my evaluation, I'm really nervous. I don't know what it is. I, I don't like the evaluation thing, but I was just thinking about this. Imagine you're having your evaluation with Jesus. And, you know, he's, he's laid out a job description for your life in his word. So, okay, this is what I've called you to do. Make disciples. And you're sitting down. It's your six-month eval. And, uh, you know, you're, you're just, um, what do they call that when you could still be fired? Probation. Yeah, probation. No, just kidding. There's no probation in the kingdom you're in. You're in. Uh, <laughs> but you, uh, you're having your six-month eval. And Jesus is sitting there, and good employer bases the evaluation on the job description. Okay, these are the tasks, the responsibilities I've asked you to do. How are you doing in those areas? And uh, if you're like me, I'm, oh man, Jesus, uh, well, here's the thing. We had another kid. But this next year is going to be different because I think we figured it out. I think we figured out why that is happening and we're going to solve the problem. So this next year will be better. I don't know. I don't know. That's, I, I, the idea of having evaluation with Jesus over my job. Oh my God, Jesus, I don't know. what I'm, I'm not doing a good enough job. But um, luckily his grace is sufficient. But here's, here's something I thought about. If I was sitting at the table with Jesus, and if you're like me, you feel like, man, I don't know how much time I'm spending doing the job that I'm actually called to do. You know, like, if, if, if I, uh, um, let's see, I worked in, um, I worked in child protection for a while, and I had, if I had my evaluation, and they said, okay, how many clients did you visit in the last three months? I said, well, yeah, I didn't meet my quota. I didn't meet with the clients, but... I did take out the trash every single night on my way home. And my boss is like, well, Nathan, we pay janitors to do that. Like, we have people for that job. This is the job. Like, you need to meet with these kids. You have to see them. Okay, yeah, but, you know, I just, I was so busy. Like, have you seen that room? It's a mess. And every time I go in there, I vacuum and I clean it up and then somebody else comes in and makes a mess again and I can't ever get out to my clients because I'm always, well, yeah, Nathan, that's actually not your job. Well, and then the other day, there was a light bulb out in my office and you wouldn't believe how long it took me to find the light bulbs downstairs in the basement in that one closet. I had to find the key and then they were way back there. It took forever and then I I didn't have a ladder so I had to climb up on my desk and change the bowl. Yeah, Nathan, we have people to do that. How many clients have you seen? I don't know, that's how I envision my evaluation with Jesus going. And then, and then I, I, I probably was a little nervous. I'm still new here. I did that a lot. I, I milked that one, man. I'm still new here because that job was kind of scary. I, I need to go out with somebody else for a while. And uh, I need to be trained. And, and eventually, this is what I imagine Jesus saying. What could I give you to make you qualified for this job that you have not already received? So this morning, Jesus is asking you, what have I not given you to do the job that I've asked you to do? In this area, you feel unqualified. How, as your employer, have I not provided 
you the tools to do the job. At the state, my boss would have said, we have our cars. You don't even have to put gas. You don't even have to use your own gas money. We have our own cars. And we have our own... Guess what? You don't even have to use your own cell phone. You can use our cell phone. And we have a computer for you. You can write up your reports. And if you don't know how to write up a report, we have tons of them that you can use as an example. We have resourced you. We have set you up for success. What do I need to provide as your employer so that you can feel qualified to do this job? And in sitting with Jesus, that might be a humbling experience because you think, okay, you died. Check. You rose again, check. And then you sent your Holy Spirit. So like literally you are always with me, guiding me, leading me, speaking to me, empowering me. I guess I'm qualified. Maybe the issue isn't that I'm not qualified. Maybe there's something else at work in me. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's still some fear. Maybe, maybe I still need to trust you more. So, how do we maintain godly initiative? See, because there's a difference between the initiative Moses showed, right? Killing the Egyptian and this godly. Now he came with the power of God in a different way. Ironically, people still died. But, uh, but, uh, but uh, godly initiative was sustainable and fruitful, right? Godly initiative set the people free. All Moses' initiative did was end up with one dead Egyptian and Moses on the run. And his self-initiative quickly faded. He became a shepherd and I think he just gave up on that whole deliverer thing. In the past, Moses was moved by the mission. He saw the need and he was moved, he was grieved by, the, by what he saw with the, with the Israelites in slavery. But that didn't work out so well. It's not enough to be moved by the mission. Notice where the focus is at this burning bush. Exodus 3, 7 through 10. This is pretty cool. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, in, the Israelites, out of Egypt. A whole bunch of eyes and one you. Godly initiative is God focused. It's not even people focused. It's God-focused. I'm going to end with this. This is a quote from John Piper. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When the age is over, And the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God. Missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. 
but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Let people praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. But worship is also the fuel for missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't command what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from their heart, rejoice in the Lord, I will be glad and exult in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, almost high. Missions begins and ends in worship. More than a song, the Lord is after our yes. Singing is a powerful way to worship God, he commands. But you want to know the most beautiful way to worship God? Yes, Lord. What's the question? Yes. Whatever you say. My time is yours. My life is yours. I may feel like I'm in over my head, but... You're with me. I'll go. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have qualified the unqualified. Lord, I thank you that you have equipped us for every good work. You've even given us the time we need to do the work that you've called us to do. And Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room whatever season of life we find ourselves and we know that this season is about making disciples. But help us know where to sow and where to reap, where to work and where to rest. Let us be a people who say yes, not because I'm comfortable, not because I'm able, but because I have the comforter and my God is able. Lord, let us worship you with our very lives. Just like Jesus who poured his life out for us, Lord, help us to pour our lives out for a broken and hurting world. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, today would be a really, really good time to do that the Bible says today is the day of salvation so here's how I want to do it if you are here and you have not said yes to Jesus this is going to take some courage on your part we have people who are um, prayed up and ready to pray for you after the service just go and ask for prayer and share that with them and I know there's some other people here who you need prayer maybe today this is resonating with you and say I just need God the Holy Spirit to guide me in what he's actually calling me to do 
because I feel like my time is is not enough. I feel like I'm burning the the candle at both ends. I feel like uh, I'm just running out of steam. I'm running out of energy. And I feel ill-equipped and ill-prepared. Uh, go get prayer. Go get prayer. So um, so I'm going to close prayer today, and I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus or if you need more prayer, there's people over here to pray with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you've given us in Jesus. How could we ever say we are not equipped to do what you've called us to do? Now we go in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week, people. Don't forget your connection card. Don't forget Lyft. And don't forget your kids. As all the parents look at me sheepishly.